Good to see you all this morning. Oh, we got a packed crowd today. This is great. This is like half of Grace Bible Church right here. All right, this is good. Um, I am not Steve Schwartz, I'm not Pastor Steve Schwartz. Um, he is feeling a little under the weather this morning, but he is still planning on being here for the main service to preach. That was his main focus. He wanted to ensure to be able to do that, and so he's trying to save his energy for that. And so we're doing plan B today. So I am plan B, and I am very sorry about that for you, but uh, we are going to be covering the Davidic covenant today. And if we have time, which is very likely not, we will cover the new covenant as well, which is one of my favorite topics. And so, um, yes, my name is uh, Jay Street. I am the guy who's been grading your papers. So um, hopefully it's been nice enough and grace has been extended for you. Honestly, you guys are actually just doing a really good job. So um, keep up the great work. And uh, I facilitate all of that. So if you have questions about the administration of the class and grading and other things related to assignments and attendance and that kind of thing, that's what I'm here for. So um, every time that we meet, there's going to be a table out there where you can turn in homework, pick up homework that's been graded. And so that is uh, a, the way that we kind of manage the class with the papers. And then, of course, you can record your reading online. Uh, and there is a QR code out there. Uh, COVID has made everybody QR code friendly now. So you can use your phone. You can just take the camera app and just it'll know intuitively to pick that up as a as a link. And then you can go directly to the form and fill out. I did this reading, this reading, this reading this week. And then that should accomplish that. So, um, so yeah, so that's basically, um, I just want to make sure we kind of have some housekeeping things so that you're aware of the structure of this class. And um, let's start off with a word of prayer. Let's pray for our pastor as he uh, seeks to have as much strength as possible today for uh, delivering our, the message in the main service. Father, we come before you and we are honored to be in your church, to be gathered as your people, to be called and elected, not because of what we've done, but because of who you are, not because we were of any worth, not because we were great in number or intelligent or rich or wise, but rather we were often those who were foolish the poor, the few. And you chose to call us to your name so that you might shame the wise, so that you might shame the rich. And as we will talk about this morning, you have orchestrated covenants. And the Davidic covenant is one of the most important covenants in this economy of salvation in your kingdom. We pray for our dear pastor. We pray that you would give him strength today as he uh, is recovering from sickness and that you would give him uh, the strength that he needs to deliver your word with clarity, with accuracy, with boldness. And Lord God, we pray for this morning here in BTI. We ask that we would be able to glean truth from your word, we pray that it wouldn't just be our system of thought that we're adopting, but it is your word that we are seeking. So help us to align our hearts to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, there might be, I, I kind of like in these kind of classroom settings, classroom, I don't know, um, to engage with you. I'm not going to necessarily call you out and say, you answer this question. Uh, but I like to engage so that there's a little bit more feedback. So sometimes I'll be like, and have you fill in the blank or have you try to you know, answer something? So I just wanted to let you know that in case you're kind of like thrown off. You're like, he's supposed to be preaching to us. Uh, well, either way, I mean, I can do that too. But I would uh, enjoy uh, hearing from you as well throughout, if, if, uh, if that's what you would desire. Um, I also have added a couple things of my own, and so if you don't see on the slides behind me here, 
I wasn't able to add it in, and I'm sorry. So it was kind of a last-minute thing. We made a decision to kind of for me to do this this morning, and so I haven't been able to add everything into the slides. So I've added a couple things. So just turn on your listening ears and you know have your notes, and you can write things down as you're hearing them. And if you have any questions, you can ask me afterwards. And we are recording this, and I'm going to double-check that right now. We are. We are recording this, so you can go ahead and listen to this later, and I highly recommend that. If, you're, if you've got time in your schedule, you can go back and listen to these. You glean a lot when you are able to listen to them a second, sometimes a third time. So that's helpful. Also, I lose track of time really easily. So um, I actually have a stopwatch. That should help prevent us going into 12 o'clock today. Um, but if someone, if I'm like three minutes away from ending and I'm not slowing down and I'm speeding up, can someone like in the back just do like, that, just so that I know, like, Jay, you're going overboard, okay? Um, thank you. That would, be, that would be really helpful. I don't want to uh, make us late for the main service. Um, I have gone late in Bible studies, sometimes 30 minutes, and, but there was nothing after that, so it was fine. But my wife can attest to the fact that this happens all the time with me. So um, I appreciate you guys, and hopefully this clock will help too. All right, let's talk about the Davidic Covenant. And one thing that's um, helpful is... Um, I've got a touch screen with a stylus, so I can kind of draw some things that might be helpful in this class, and I might do that once or twice. I have a little whiteboard here where I'll be kind of putting some things up there just so that it can bring a little bit more visual clarity to what we're talking about. But let's talk about the Davidic Covenant, and this is something that we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So I want you to use your Bibles, okay? Take your Bibles, if you've got them with you, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And uh, I already can tell, like, I don't know if we'll get through the whole Davidic covenant, honestly. But we're going to try. We're going to try to do that. 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is where we see the Davidic covenant show up for the first time in Scripture. And the main verses that we want to look at here are starting in verse 12. We really could go and read this whole chapter, and that would be appropriate. Honestly, that would give us a lot of the context for what's going on here. Um, But starting in verse 12, this is Nathan the prophet talking to David on behalf of Yahweh God. Okay? Nathan was given a vision from God, and he's speaking to David and saying, David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, so I shall raise up your seed. Your translation might say descendants. Hey, you guys are already like engaging. This is great. Descendants or something else like that. But I'm going to really harp on this word seed today, okay? Not that descendants is a bad translation, but it's important to connect some dots in Scripture. I will raise up your seed after you. It will come out of your loins, and I shall establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house for my name, and I shall establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him as a father, and he will be to me as a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will chastise him, or you could say, I will rebuke him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him in the same way that I made it depart from Saul, who I also removed from before you. And your house shall be established, and your, ki- and your kingdom will be forever before you. Your throne will be set up forever, or established forever. This is the context of the Davidic covenant, okay? The Davidic covenant is something that, um, it's very interesting, <laughs> It is a covenant that rules all the covenants. You might not think of the Davidic covenant that way. You're like, well, this is another one of the covenants of the other covenants. This is actually the covenant that rules all of the covenants. It's really cool. And we'll talk about that in a second here. Um, One thing I wanted you to note is that, you know, we know that this is talking about David's seed. And ultimately, who does this get fulfilled by? 
Yes, good. That's a great Sunday school answer, right? Jesus, right? And you are correct in this case, right? Uh, it is. It is fulfilled in Jesus. But you might notice how it says, like, but when he commits iniquity. You see that in verse, 13, uh, verse 14? When he commits iniquity. Oh, well, Jesus didn't commit iniquity. So that part probably wouldn't be applying to him. Well, kind of. There is a part where it kind of does apply to him, and we'll talk about that here. Um, but one thing I want you to know is that corporate solidarity, this is a term that I'm going to bring up to you, and I know that that's a big, big term, and maybe I can just spell it out for you here so that you can get the idea here. Corporate solidarity. It means that Let's boil it down to really simple. It just means that one can represent the many. Like, why did you give us a big term like that? Like, we don't need that. <laughs> it's, you know, something that scholars and commentators will reference a lot. But you don't need to memorize what that means. You just need to know that this means one represents many. And it's actually used throughout the Bible everywhere. Like, Adam represents the entire human race, right? I mean, it's like from the very beginning of... Creation, yeah? Right? Corporate solidarity. Did you know that our atonement in Jesus Christ is based upon corporate solidarity? That's amazing, right? Because how can one person die for millions and millions of people? It's only through corporate solidarity. Why, why do we not have a million saviors dying for a million people, one for each person? It's because of this whole idea of corporate solidarity that one can represent the many, right? A king represents his people, right? That is corporate solidarity. And you're like, wow, this is a big term. But it's also an important term to understand because it's everywhere in Scripture. Okay? Just like the word Trinity, it doesn't occur in the Bible. Corporate solidarity doesn't occur in the Bible. But it's everywhere, isn't it? Right? And we understand that. Okay, so this is important. And when we see this happening here in the Davidic Covenant... We have one representing many in the sense that Jesus is going to become that corporate representative for all of David's line. And it's interesting how all the kings, when you, when, you know, we just read the passage there. All the kings in David's line actually fit this description. Okay, so... Everyone who follows, every king, let's go from Solomon to Rehoboam, and then his son, and then his son, and his son, and so forth. And there's several sons. There are kings. They're all kings. They all are part of David's line. They're all part of this covenant. They get incorporated and grafted into this covenant. And I would like to use an illustration like sports tryouts. That's kind of what's going on here. You know, when you try out for a sport you're seeing if you can make it on the team. That is exactly what's going on here with the Davidic covenant. Like, well, okay, so who is the seed? Well, you're like, well, David's seed is really Jesus. That's who it really is. Kind of. It's all of David's descendants after him, isn't it? Right? It's all of them. And they're all trying out for the job to see if they're going to fulfill it. What's the problem? Did they succeed? No. And you can see how each person following after David, he is he's attempting to fulfill it, but he's not able to. And there's only one that ultimately does. Everyone following after David is a potential fulfiller of this seed promise in the Davidic covenant. But you're like, what about the when he commits iniquity? Does that apply to the Messiah? Does that apply to Jesus Christ? He didn't sin. Well, obviously, of course, Christ didn't commit iniquity. But it's really interesting that actually, isn't it interesting that Jesus was treated as though he did, right? So he actually stands in that gap and fulfills this part of the Davidic covenant also. Jesus actually fulfills the entire Davidic covenant and everything described in uh, 2 Samuel 7 is describing his life too. He shows that he is qualified for the job. When he dies for sins, he shows that he is qualified for the job, even though he didn't commit any sin. Very interesting. 
Now, the context of this is that, kind of going back, and if we were to read this in 2 Samuel 7, David wanted to build a temple or a house for God. That was his desire. He wanted to build this temple. He says, Lord, I want to build a temple for you. I mean, I'm living in this wonderful house built by cedar wood. It looks amazing. It probably smells amazing, too. And I would love to build something like that for you because your Ark of the Covenant is basically sitting behind a veil, you know, cloth. I would love to build something like what I've got for my palace for you. And what does God say to him? Uh, Yes and no. You're not going to build it. But I do want someone to build a house for my name. And instead, I'm going to build a house for you instead. That's a really cool thing, huh? Lord, I want to build a house for you. Okay, I'm going to build a house for you. (laughs) I'm going to build a house for you, David. David wanted to build this temple as a suitable place for God. And God's like, hey, listen, I never asked to have a temple built for me. But I like it. I mean, I mean, kind of filling in the blanks here. But he basically says, that. I, I, I never asked anyone in the judges period or any time when uh, we were wandering the wilderness. I never asked, like, can you build a temple for me? Uh, but he's going to allow this to happen. And he's going to use this to be a beacon to the world. Okay, you got to see the temple as a beacon to the rest of the world. It's, it stands as a monument For all the nations to see, Yahweh God reigns here. And not only does he reign here, but as Israel begins to advance the mission of God across the nations, it's going to show Yahweh God reigns everywhere. Yeah? Right? That's why Jesus, when he comes, he says, I want worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. Well, yeah, but the temple's in Jerusalem. Yeah, but I want worshipers everywhere. You understand? Because God rules what? Everywhere, right? So he, has, he says, David, you're not the one. You're not the man of the job for this. Um, you are a man of war. And you are a man who has shed blood. Now, that could be through his battles. But uh, we are very aware of a situation in David's life where he... He ends up shedding blood. He ends up fulfilling this even further, where he sheds the blood of Uriah, right? In in great sin. David is not the one to build this. In fact, because he's a man of war, um, he he could have used this opportunity to make the temple his war trophy. Does that make sense? Right? Once, Once he wins all his battles, this is what kings would do. They would set up huge monuments, right? And it would become a trophy, to the world. You're a man of war, David. That's not just because, you know, you're a bad guy. It's because it would look like to the nations you set up a monument to yourself. I don't want that. I want your son after you who's not going to be a warrior. He's going to be Solomon. In Hebrew, Shlomo. Such a funny name, Shlomo. Slowpoke almost. I don't know. Anyways, um, Shlomo means peace. He's full of peace. You know Shalom, right? Peace. Like Shlomo. Peace. He's a man of peace. He's not a man of war. Solomon's going to build this temple. It's going to be characterized by peace. Why is this important? Because a peaceful king that's not battling with any other nations, has the best opportunity to disseminate the kingdom purposes to all the nations. Does that make sense? He has the time to focus on making the temple a beacon to the rest of humanity. That was God's mission from the beginning. And so Solomon gets to be a part of that. And we actually see that in Ecclesiastes. I don't want to get off on a bunny trail here. It's really cool because Ecclesiastes is full of terminology that's Um, kind of Aramaic, kind of um, language that is beyond just Hebrew, which tells you he's often talking to not just Israel, but to the nations at the end of his life. Okay, And who's coming to Solomon in his life? Who comes from the, the corners of the world? People like the queen of Sheba, right? They recognize that the temple is a beacon to the world. 
and that Solomon is the perfect candidate, it would seem, to be that, so it would disseminate to the rest of the world. Now, of course, we know what happens. Did Solomon actually succeed? No. Right? Which means what? He failed his tryout, didn't he? So now we're looking forward to another son following him. So Rehoboam is the next one up, and then the kingdom split, and now you've got problems because they're not ruling over all of Israel, and you need someone who can reunite the kingdom. I haven't even gotten to the slides yet. I'm sorry. Oh, here we go. All right. So we have, that's a, that is a minor introduction. Okay. Um, again, I don't think we're going to get through all of this today, but that's okay. I'll just tell Steve, and then he can chastise me later. Okay. So um, let's talk about the provisions of the Davidic covenant here. Okay. We read Second Samuel 7. 12 through 16, and I talked about this already, the Davidic covenant, and I'm going to use what Dr. Abner Chow talks about because um, <laughs> it's great, but um, he says the Davidic covenant is the one covenant to rule them all. Does that sound familiar to you? Lord of the Rings, for those of you who don't know the, the one ring to rule them all, right? Um, and this is actually very a very apt illustration, as funny as it is, right? It is very apt for this. Um, and this is where actually, I, I know I just moved my slide, and now I'm going to come back here, okay? We're going to use this a little bit. Uh, name some covenants here that you've heard of. We've talked about some already. Noah, Noahic, good. Okay, I'm just going to put Noah. Abrahamic and Mosaic, very good. Abraham, I'm just going to put Abraham. Adamic. And I'll go and put Old Covenant, but that is Mosaic Covenant. That's right. Adamic. Well, there, th- that's something that's debatable, but we'll, we'll address that another time. That's good. All right, good. These are the three that I'm mostly looking for here. There's one more, actually. The, what is it? Priestly. Priestly. There is a priestly one, yes. It's a little bit different. That, that's a good point. It is Priestly is a covenant, yes. There's one more I'm thinking of. The New Covenant. Yes, good. Yes, very good. One of my favorites. Maybe one of your favorites, because you're, like, living in the New Covenant right now, right? Okay, good. And, like, you're like, that does Noah apply to me, or Abraham, or, you know. All right, it does, actually. Um, here's the thing. You don't put David's covenant on the same level as these other covenants. It doesn't, you would think so from a, a peripheral reading of Scripture, but it actually goes up here. This is the Davidic Covenant. And it rules all of these. Um, To use another Lord of the Rings phrase, the fate of all of these other covenants are now bound up in this covenant. Okay? That's what's going on here. These covenants cannot ultimately come to pass unless the Davidic covenant is fulfilled. It gets wrapped up in this covenant. And therefore, it gets wrapped up in a king. This king, whoever he is, is going to fulfill all these covenants. You're like, are you making this up? No, I'm not. Uh, Look at your Bibles there. You should still be there in 2 Samuel 7. Look at verse 9. Then I will be with you in every place which you go, and I shall cut off all your enemies from before you, And I shall make for you a what? Great name. Does that sound familiar with other covenants? How about about the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12? I will make you what? A great name. And many nations shall come forth from you, right? This terminology is not accidental. I will make for you a great name. As the names of all the great ones on the earth. And I shall set a place for my people for Israel. And I shall plant them. And they shall dwell in their place. Um, a place? A.K.A. a what? Land. Does that sound like the Abrahamic covenant too? Right? Land. You got name. Land. Okay. And they shall no longer tremble, or the word is actually to shake, to tremble, shake, uh, be dismayed. And 
the sons of wickedness shall no longer add any more humiliation to them, just as what was happening prior. And then um, it says, from the day which I commanded the judges over my people Israel. And then it says, and I shall give what to you? Rest. Now, this one's a little bit tougher. What is this? Which, co- which covenant is this connecting to? Oh, this is a fun thing. Keep. There we go. Oh, I don't know what happened there. Um, could be the old. There is something that's tied to the old covenant. That's actually true. But there's something about one of these names. Does anybody know what the name Noah means? It means rest. What did Lamech say when he gave birth to Noah? Your name shall be Noah. Why? Because you shall what? Give rest. This is a, this is a covenant of rest. The Noah covenant is a covenant of rest, which connects back to the Sabbath day. The seventh day of creation, yeah? And all these covenants go back to creation, one thing, right? So they're all tied together. And the Davidic covenant is funneling all these covenants into it. It's a hub, which all the covenants are funneling into, okay? This Noahic one means rest, okay? And you can see that when God washes the world of its evil in creation now what? Rest. Breathes a temporary sigh of relief. Until they get out of the boat and then they start to populate the world in sin again, right? And then you need like, okay, we need a better rest than that, right? Goodness gracious, it didn't last for more than a couple days. That is what we're looking for, okay? So you can see the Noahic covenant here as well, okay? And then look at verse 12. We already read this one. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I shall raise up your offspring seed, yeah? This should sound familiar. This goes back to... It does go back to Abraham. Very good. And that goes back to Genesis chapter... Three, I didn't. You're like, wait, that's not a covenant. I know. Sorry, I threw that one in, but it's really important, right? Um, there will be enmity between you and the woman, right? Talking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed. Who's who's this referring to? It's the Messiah, right? But it's also everyone following in the line of, right? There's corporate solidarity, right? The Messiah representing the whole group of people following in that line, right? You are called in Galatians 3. You are Abraham's seed, right? You're like, oh, that's interesting. But notice how he said, he didn't say you are Abraham's seeds, plural. Why is he using the singular? Because he's tying you to what? One person. Who is who? Messiah. Corporate solidarity, right? One representing many. He literally just said earlier in Galatians, like, you know, uh, when I'm quoting this Old Testament passage, he doesn't say seeds, plural. He uses seeds, singular. That is referring to one. Then he, like, says Messiah, right? And then all of a sudden he says, you, plural, he says, you, plural, are Abraham's seed, singular. Very important terminology because he's trying to tie everyone to the Messiah, right? Corporate solidarity. This is the seed. And the seed will come, and he will raise up this seed through the Davidic covenant, and he will establish him on his throne forever. Now, I think I missed one, because I want to tie this also to the old covenant. Look at, again, um, I know that I was in here somewhere. I think it's actually earlier. Um, Oh, actually... You could actually say this. It's actually, I think it goes actually earlier than this. But when it talks about earlier in verse, uh, let's see. Verse 8, I think. Um, no. No, but it does talk about somewhere. Oh, I think it goes back earlier than that. So earlier in the passage, he talks about how... Um, Israel had nations that would fight against them. Well, actually, it does talk about it even uh, when it talks about the enemies in verse 9. So I will be with you everywhere which you go, and I shall cut off all your enemies from before you. This is interesting because that, that terminology is tipping us off to the blessings and the curses under the Old Covenant, right? 
Because why would enemies be attacking Israel unless they are not fulfilling the, the regulations under the Old Covenant, right? When you have enemies attacking you, you're failing the Old Covenant principles. And this is tying in the Old Covenant here. So anyways, all I wanted to say is, in, the, in this passage, you've got tied here, all of the covenants are tied in and funneled through the Davidic Covenant. Now, you may be wondering, I thought that the New Covenant was the covenant that ruled all of them, right? Because it's like the big one where we're like, we have a heart for God. We are living fully for Him and trying to serve Him with all our heart, right? Where is the New Covenant? Uh, It becomes the result of the Davidic Covenant. And this is very important. It still is dependent upon and ruled by the Davidic Covenant because the New Covenant can't come unless the Davidic Covenant is what? Fulfilled. Make sense? Like you can't have the New Covenant without Jesus coming and fulfilling the Davidic Covenant. It's not possible. I would argue, by the way, these covenants all have ratified moments. You're like, what does that mean? It means like they kind of came into like codification. Like, okay, we're going to have a formal ceremony. And usually in the Old Testament, blood is spilled under these covenants in order to demonstrate that. Blood was spilled at the altar when Noah offered up the animals after he got out of the ark, right? And in Abraham, this would be in Genesis 15, you might remember this, he cuts up the animals and splits them in two and separates them, right? And then he, God, it was Abraham falls asleep, and, then, and he's like having terrible nightmares. And God begins walking through, basically formalizing the covenant and saying like, let what has happened to these animals happen to me if I were to break this covenant. That's what God is saying. And Abraham doesn't walk through, which means this is a unilateral covenant, meaning that only God is really going to accomplish this. Hey, blood is spilled there. Blood is spilled in Exodus 24, I believe. And, he, and Moses actually takes the blood of the animals. And he begins to sprinkle it on the people. That's a gross scene. But um, it's what they were doing to like be like, blood on your own heads if you do this, right? And it's literally on your head. And probably in your eyes. And, okay. And I would argue here, and this is a little bit hard to prove, because there's no blood spilled immediately at the Davidic covenant. I would argue you cannot have the Davidic covenant ratified until you have the king, the true king in place, who fulfills it. I would argue that this happens at the cross. The Davidic covenant is ratified at the cross, and God actually ratifies two covenants at the same time. Because... The Davidic covenant is the gateway to the new covenant, right? And you basically opened the door to the new covenant. And so now both happen at the, at the cross. Because the king is crucified. And he, he's treated as though he committed iniquity. And he begins to fulfill this in full. And he takes the iniquity of his, the former kings before him, who tried out and failed. And he places it on himself. Right? And he like brings it to he brings the Davidic covenant to its fullest meaning, its fullest sense. And then he ushers in a new covenant with his blood. And that's why he says in the, the supper beforehand, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. I'm going to ratify it tomorrow. I'm going to ratify it tomorrow with my blood. It's beautiful, isn't it? The covenants are all tied together, and it's tying us back to get to creation. Oh, wow. We are running out of time. Cool. All right. So, um, the Davidic covenant is the one covenant to rule them all. And we already talked about this. Um, all, all of the connections between the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the seed theme. And Solomon is going to be the one that, that builds this temple under this um, covenant. Um, I don't want to go take, take a bunny trail on this, but just to connect the dots, the new covenant, because I know you don't see the new covenant in this passage here. The new covenant, you can tie it to the Davidic covenant, actually, in Jeremiah. You actually see it. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, the iconic verses of the new covenant. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, 
right? When I will enact a new covenant, not like the covenant I made with them in the wilderness where they all died and failed and were terrible people, right? But I'm going to give them a new covenant, one where I will put my law upon their hearts and they will live that out before me. What a blessing. And that will happen one day for Israel. And then, of course, when you graft in Gentiles into this plan, we become partakers and beneficiaries of that covenant. But it also connects the new covenant there in Jeremiah 31. Look, if you look at Jeremiah 32, verse 40, Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 26, he begins to tie it to the Davidic covenant. We don't have time to get into showing the terminology and how he's like tying those together. But he is. He's actually tying. He's basically saying like, basically equating them. I mean, he even uses terminology like, behold, days are coming, coming, and he starts talking about the Davidic covenant. It's like, that's just what I heard about the new covenant. He said, behold, days are coming, I'm going to act a new covenant. The terminology is the same, meaning that when I show the everlasting nature of this Davidic covenant when my king comes, the new covenant is going to follow hand in hand together, which is what we become beneficiaries of, okay? All right, let me stay on this slide for a moment just so that you get... I haven't been there like the whole time. Um, so you can write down whatever you need to write down there. Um, we talked, uh, we've talked about this already. I called it corporate solidarity, but the telescopic nature of prophecy, that you have a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, a.k.a. it's that one represents the many. It's like, is this being fulfilled by Solomon? That's the near, right? Fulfilled by the nearest guy? Or is this being fulfilled by Jesus? You're like, yes, right? It's both. It's the near and the far. But basically what that is is, it is people potentially being the Messiah who ultimately fail so that when Jesus comes, he demonstrates that he succeeds and therefore he is the true, the true one for the job. Okay? Context, we talked about that already, David wanting to build a house and God building a house for David. And then we talked about all of these provisions as well. And there will be a great name. And we tied that to the Abrahamic covenant, a home for Israel, which is again tied to the Abrahamic covenant, rest from enemies, which, again, is the Noahic covenant, a child or a seed, which is uh, the Abrahamic covenant and Genesis 3, Solomon building a temple, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera here. Okay. Um, by the way, I have these PowerPoints, so if you're like, I didn't get all that or whatever, just email me, I'll get it to you, and uh, we'll make sure you get all of the information that you need there as well. Okay. Um, there are passages that actually talk about the Davidic covenant, in scripture a lot. And I'm just going to breeze through some of this here and you can look at these things up on your own time. Psalm 89 verses three through four. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring, offspring forever. Your seed. Yeah. There's that word seed again. And build your throne for all generations. That's Psalm 89. And you can see different references that are implications. They don't always mention David or Davidic covenant, but Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7, the Christmas passage. Um, the government shall be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There shall be no end to the rule of his government. Who's that? What is that? No end to the rule of his government. Isn't that like, I will establish your kingdom forever under the Davidic covenant? Yes, it's the Davidic covenant. Okay. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 30, we already talked about a couple of these passages. Jeremiah 33, Ezekiel 37, another passage that ties the Davidic covenant to the new covenant. Because the new covenant is described in great detail in Ezekiel 36. Where he says, I will wash them with clean water and I will give them a heart of flesh. I will give them a new heart. And then in Ezekiel 37, he starts talking about the Davidic covenant. Coincidence? No. They're tied together, right? Oh, and one of my favorites, Daniel 7. Turn your Bibles over to Daniel 7. I am going to make time for this. Um, This is important. You might be really familiar with some of this passage, especially with regard to some terminology here in Daniel 7, verse 13. If you want to look there at Daniel 7, verse 13... Daniel 7, verse 13, I was looking in the visions of the night, and behold. Uh, behold is an old English word. It's just basically like, check this out. Okay? 
One like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came as far as the Ancient of Days. One like the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. And look at verse 14. And to him was given dominion and honor and a kingdom, and all the nations and peoples and languages were worshiping him. His dominion is a... Everlasting dominion. Under what covenant? The Davidic covenant. Very good. Yep. The Davidic covenant. Under the Davidic covenant, his kingdom is an everlasting covenant which will have no end, which will not be taken away, and his kingdom shall not even be brought to, literally it says, not be brought to harm. His kingdom will not even suffer any loss. He'll have perfect wins in all that he does. Which is amazing. Now, this is all kind of a build-up sequence of a prophecy that, and a vision that Daniel is seeing, which is very interesting. You go back to um, verse 4. He, there's these beasts that are kind of coming out of the sea. So weird. In fact, actually, it kind of relates to Revelation. Because you actually see this in Revelation where you have animals coming out of the sea. And there's actually a connection here between Daniel and Revelation. But... In verse 4, it says, The first beast was like a... What animal was does it say? A lion, right? The first beast like a lion. The second beast in verse 5 was like a what? Uh, oh, bear. There we go, yeah. Yep. Very good. This isn't a coincidence. First of all, that they're animals. Why aren't they like chairs? I know it's weird, but... Or stones, or anything, right? Why animals? This is important. Because whoever this, this king is, he's going to subdue creation, just like who was supposed to subdue creation at the beginning? Adam. He's fulfilling the Adamic role. He's not only ruling the... Davidic throne. He's actually bringing us all back to the garden, right? Because he can subdue the animals. And the funny thing is, is he uses lion and bear. And you're like, tigers too. Yeah. Oh my. No, I think Wizard of Oz borrowed from the Bible. Bible came first. Um, It's not a coincidence in my mind that in 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 to 36, Saul's like, hey, you can't go fight Goliath, David. You're too small, and you're young, and you're inexperienced, and whatever. And David's like, well, when I would be in the field, a lion would come. And I said, I would grab its mane, and it would drop, it would strike it, grab its mane, and it would drop the, the animal that, would, that it had picked up. And I would save the animal. And then the lion would come and attack me, and I would kill it. I would strike it, and I'd kill it. And then a bear would come, and I'd do the same thing. Do you hear what I just said, lion and what? Bear. In that order. It's not just those two animals. In that order. What is this saying? This isn't just any king over these animals. Over the animals representing nations, right? The lion represents Babylon in Daniel 7. The bear represents Medo-Persia. The leopard represents Greece, etc., etc. These aren't just any animals... They are lion first, bear second. Why? Because it's pointing you back to those words that David said to show you this isn't just any king. He is a Davidic king, right? He's going to come from David. Okay, I just wanted to park there for a second to show you the neat connections there to the Davidic covenant. It's everywhere um, in Daniel 7. Uh, The character of the Davidic covenant is that it's unconditional. Uh, kind of, and, and there's kind of a caveat here, because uh, it says only, the only conditional ele- element is that would David's descendants actually reign without interruption. That's a really good way to describe that. Um, when David's line would sin, God would chastise them. That's what it says, right? And it would also delay <laughs> the coming of the kingdom. So now you already have a theology of delay, You hear that? A theology of delay is already in the Old Testament. Some people really kind of have a hard time with that. When Jesus came, there's no delay for the kingdom. 
Jesus brought the kingdom with his coming, and now we're in the kingdom today. No, 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 no. Theology of delay is not something we just make up in the New Testament. It's something that's been happening in the Old Testament the whole time. Because Davidic, the Davidic line was failing and failing and failing, and it was delaying and interrupting, but it was not ultimately circumventing the Davidic covenant, because ultimately one would come who would succeed. So there is a little bit of an interruption. Unconditional is a fairly good word for this. Also, unilateral would be even more accurate. Unilateral. It means one direction. Unilateral. Meaning that God is going to make this happen of his own initiative. It's not bilateral. Bilateral means that it's got to be a both and. Like God's got to do his part and man's going to do his part. That's the old covenant, right? Here are blessings if you do what is good. Here are curses if you do what is bad. And the old covenant is failing. Do you understand now why Hebrew says that covenant was insufficient for us? Not because the covenant was bad. It was just dependent upon our sinful selves. That's why it's old and becoming archaic. And as Hebrews 8 says, it's growing old and becoming obsolete because it's being overshadowed by a what? A new covenant where now God enables you. Old covenant said, Here's the standard. Jump this high. Can you do it? And everyone's like, I can't. You know, I can't do it. And it's like, sorry. There's, there's no grace here under this old covenant. But under the new covenant, it says, jump this high. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to just get you there. I'm going to get you all the way there. I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to give you the ability to jump that high. That's what we're under. We should really be encouraged when we know that because when we see the contrast in Scripture, so many believers in the past were under an old covenant. Very frustrating to live under. Okay. Um, also, this covenant, this, this Davidic covenant, is eternal. We saw that in Second Samuel chapter 7. And um, there's things I can get into there, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and keep moving forward because we, we need to keep going. So it's also eternal. Uh, now, let's talk a little bit about the Messianic fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. The, the, the meaning of the Davidic promise is found in other references that we've seen. And you may be familiar with like Psalm chapter 2. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Yes, we see that quoted a lot in the New Testament too, huh? Um, that's very much the terminology that... Daniel 7 just used, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Uh, it, it's, it's, the, it's not just there, obviously, in Psalm chapter 2. There's other psalms here as well that are listed. But it also points to this one final fulfillment in one person. And again, we've talked about this here. I front-ended some of this stuff to kind of connect the dots together for us. Uh, the promise of even a specific branch that comes from David. You know that branch terminology, right? Which is um, probably what's being described in Matthew chapter 2. You know when it says, um, this was to fulfill what was written by Scripture at the end of Matthew chapter 2, that he shall be called a Nazarene. You're like, wait a minute, if I know my Bible well, that verse doesn't occur in the Bible explicitly like that. There is no Nazarene in the Old Testament. Yeah, but if you understand what Nazarene means, you understand it's the word branch. He shall be a branch guy, branch man, okay? It's like a superhero, it sounds like, you know. He's branch man, right? But that is that is what is described of this, uh, this one. And branch being like a, you know, uh, an extension of... Uh, a limb or, or a trunk of a tree where it's spawning from David's line. Okay, He is going to be the branch that will come. And, by the way, why branch? Why are there so many illustrations of garden stuff, right? In the Bible. You ever notice that? I'm the vine, you're the branches. I know there's a ton of stuff. Why? Uh, even the, the fact um, you need to what? Bear much fruit. Like it talks about that in the Bible a lot in the New Testament. Why? Because it's pointing you back to the garden to the creation right it's like these things do mean something 
Here's a really cool comparison. And we, again, we already talked about how the Abrahamic covenant and Davidic covenant coalesce and tie together. But just so you can see it side by side, and this, this is probably helpful to kind of, you know, some of you are like really smart and you're like, I'm not going to write that down. I'm just going to take a snapshot of that with my phone. Um, Davidic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, personal, great name, blessing. They're both described with blessing. Uh, kings are going to be descendants from the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Um, again, the ultimate aim of the Abrahamic covenant is universal blessing. If you remember in Genesis chapter 12, it says, um, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And in your, in your name, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was the whole goal of the Abrahamic covenant, to get blessing to all the nations, not just Abraham's line. Yes, with a certain priority on Abraham to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. But at the same time, there is a mission to get to the entire world, to get to the entire world. Um, Romans chapter 9 through 11 is often talked about as the, the Israel section of Romans, you know, it's, it's Israel section. And it is. It totally is. It's 100% true. But it's also talking about Israel with an emphasis on God wanting to be God over all, not just Israel. It's really important. This has been God's mission from the very beginning. One of my favorite passages in Isaiah 49, when he says, It's too small a thing that I should raise you up to be ruler or, or um, over my people. I will make you a light to the to the world, to the nations, right? It's too small. I don't get enough glory by just being God over Israel. I want all the glory from all the people. And by the way, God deserves that, doesn't he? Because he's God. Don't think of God as a human. It's like, man, he's a, you know, he's hogging glory. He's a glory hog. No, that's good for God to be a glory hog. That's like, we need to rethink that if we ever struggle with that I mean, we're thinking of god as a man man doesn't deserve glory like that god does god has every right and is actually good and right in creation for him to be a glory hog and i don't mean that in any negative connotation whatsoever okay land or a place for a nation is described in both these covenants as well and we can even see the davidic covenant in the new testament uh, you know, it's really like is the first verse of our New Testament. Uh, this is the beginning of uh, you know Messiah Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And there you go, tying the Davidic covenant with the Abrahamic covenant. Son of David, son of Abraham, key individuals that have two covenants being linked together. Uh, but emphasis here, uh, we're describing on the Davidic covenant here. He's described as the son of David. Uh, often throughout his ministry, uh, you know, you've, you've heard the, uh, you know, when the, the blind man is saying, uh, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. He understands where he's coming from. Um, even, oh, this is such a good one. Why were there shepherds at Jesus' birth? Because he was poor, he needed to be like from a you know a rugged area, so it makes him look even more. No, that's not quite the reason, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was a shepherd. That's right. Who else was a shepherd? David was a shepherd, right? And then when the angels tell the shepherds go to the city of David, they don't even tell them which city it is. They don't say go to Bethlehem. Why? Because they're making the connection. We know where the city of David is. We're going to go to the city of David. This is David's city. And we need to be there so it can announce to the world, a new David is here. That's why there are shepherds. Whenever you are at Christmas time and you're worshiping the Lord, think about that. It's a really, really good thing. I know we've got five minutes. I know someone's going to do this here in a second. So, All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get through the rest of this here. Um, the early church recognized Jesus as the promised seed of David. We see that in Acts quite frequently. Uh, Jesus holds the key of David in Revelation. He's talked about as the root, the offspring, the seed of David. Revelation 22 It's one of the last things that's written in the Bible. I mean, if you don't think the Davidic covenant is important, just see how it's tied to the very beginning and tied to the very end. Okay? Yeah, you have a question? The seed of David uh, through uh, Nathan, 
Right. Where you stop short in right. Matthew, so the emphasis would be on the legal line, son of David, right. versus the propitiation through Mary. Yes. Yep, that sounds right. Yep, that's right. Yeah, there's two different lines there that are kind of describing two different facets there. It's really good. Yeah, good point. Uh, David in Psalm 110, this is one of the most quoted, maybe the most quoted uh, Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Um, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, right? This is Davidic covenant terminology and demonstrating that This one is not just going to be a human king. This Davidic king, you can see how the humans are trying out and they're trying out throughout David's line and they're all failing. It's demonstrating that God is going to have to accomplish this himself. Isaiah 57, I think, also picks up on this. My own right hand is going to accomplish this myself. It's not going to be a human that's going to do this. And so that's why there's this hint at the Lord, Yahweh, said to my master, my Lord, how can David call this his master if he's just a son of him, right? And then it's like the Pharisees are like getting their mind blown. They're like, oh, I never paid attention to that. You guys are the masters of the scriptures and you don't understand this, right? Um, even Daniel 7, we saw this. One like the son of man. He's got son of men resemblance coming up to the Ancient of Days. Who can walk up to the Ancient of Days and not be obliterated? It's not human. Job would have really been said, that's not possible. Because Job says in Job 9, there is no mediator between God and man who can put his hand on God and put his hand on man and be a mediator between us. There's no one who can do that. There's no one who can argue my case. No one can say, I can represent God and I can represent man. I can be a lawyer for both. Because he is otherworldly. There's no way I can attain to him. And isn't that amazing that Job is crying out and saying, that's impossible. And God says, that's my plan. That's my plan. He's going to be a God, God-man. Uh, that's the beauty of Job and another story for another time, which is awesome. Because Job is basically asking all the questions that the gospel answers. It's really cool which is why it's like the best introduction to the Bible, right? It's why it's the first book that was chronologically written, because it's kind of giving the intro to the Bible. It's like, what do you need to be asking? Here's the questions you need to be asking. Where does wisdom come from? How can a man be made righteous before God? Who can be a lawyer between God and man? Those questions are all answered in the gospel. And actually all answered in Romans chapter 8. As amazing as that is. As I've heard it said, Job would have wept to read Romans, because all of his questions were answered. Okay? Um, there are different views. Dispensationalism, amillennialism, of the Davidic throne. How does that work? And I think we're just going to stop here, just these views here really quick. I'm just going to briefly s- mention them. The traditional dispensational view, which is really uh, just kind of a giveaway here. That's really the view that we would take um, here. Um, is that there is a distinction between the throne in heaven, God's throne, and the Davidic throne. The Davidic throne is the human element's throne, right? It's the the human throne. There is a heavenly throne where God always reigns and has been reigning ever since before creation, right? There's always a heavenly throne. There is a distinction between these thrones. Just because Jesus is today sitting at the right hand of God does not mean that he's sitting on the Davidic throne. Right? The Davidic throne, when it's described throughout Scripture, is very physical and tangible, and this earth. He's not sitting on David's throne, we would argue. Uh, millennials believe that he's really sitting on David's throne, and we're in the kingdom today. That's basically what's happening. Um, there's a modified, progressive, dispensational view. Jesus is sit- seated on David's throne uh, up there in heaven, but he's not yet exercising his rulership over. He's just kind of sitting there. Just kind of like, why are you sitting there if you're not exercising rulership? That doesn't make any sense. Um, progressive dispensational view. Some believe that Jesus is currently on David's throne. He's ruling in a spiritual sense, but not really in a tangible, like we can actually experience it way. The full political reign is not really taking place today, but spiritually it's happening. Um, just really quick, w- Revelation 21. Something comes down from heaven. You remember what this is at the very beginning of Revelation 21? Something big. Jerusalem. 
the holy city. Think about this. Why does it have to come down if it's already the Davidic throne? It has to come down. Why? Because you're merging the heavenly kingdom with the Davidic kingdom. You see that? It has to be. Otherwise, what? We should just all be going up there, right? We should all be just going up to the throne to meet God and stay there. No, the heavenly throne is coming down and merging with the Davidic throne. That's all we have time for. Um, So any quick questions before we close? Good. Okay. Well, maybe good. Maybe you're like, I have no idea what you just said. That's okay. You can go back and listen to the recording too. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to study your word. This is really all about your glory. This is the reason why you have set all these things in motion. The main theme in scripture, and those of us who have been studying together and with the He Will Reign Forever book, recognize the main theme of scripture really is the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And we get to be a part of that kingdom. Thank you for making us a part of that kingdom, for uh, making us adequate for that kingdom. And the goal of all of that is so that you may be glorified, so that your name is great. Help us, O oh God, to put away selfish pride that gets in the way of that. Lord, that is an offense to your glory and your name. Thank you for the Davidic covenant. It, is, it may seem distant to us. It may seem that's not us. That's Israel. It's, how is that related to us? It's everything for us. Without the Davidic covenant, we get no blessing. We get no new covenant. We get no Messiah. We get no kingdom. We get no future. There's no heaven. Lord God, help us to be fit, to be ready to live under your kingdom. And Father, we look forward to that day. Please, we pray, Maranatha, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.